That's what it's all about. Amen. Man, I think Miss Dickie read the sermon this morning. Yeah. <laughs> because that's what the latter part of this sermon series of, of Jesus coming back again in Matthew chapter 24 and 25, known as the Olive Discourse. This week, thanks. Something amazing been happening with me in the spirit. I can't explain it, but I can tell you this. Jesus is coming back again. Yay. Amen. And he's coming back soon. A couple of things I want to share with you this morning is that a few mornings ago, the Holy Spirit got me up. Anybody ever woken up like 2 o'clock in the morning and, and you're restless and you don't know why? So I, I did what I, I normally do. I, I go in the other room away from my wife because she's knocked out. And I go before the Lord. I open up the Word of God. And the Holy Spirit takes me to Isaiah 53. And I don't know how many times over the last 30 plus years I've read that passage of scripture. And on this particular night, he took me to one verse that he highlighted. And then we bounced back to chapter 52 and read on down and then back through 53. It's just going like, what are you doing to me? But he was showing me something. Something that's very seldom pointed out to us. Something that, that we often overlook. All we usually see is that Jesus was beat beyond recognition. We see the nails that was driven in his hands and his feet and the, 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 the uh, spear that was poked into his side. And we look at the ugliness of the cross and we wonder... How could God do this to his own son? But in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 11, God does something there. And here's what God is going to point out. And he pointed this out through this old prophet by the name of Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus the Messiah come into the world. Here's what he pointed out. He said, Jesus is going to look He's going to look at the affliction of his soul, okay? All that the labor of pain and stuff that his soul went through, the anguish of his soul, when he was suffering, when he was being beaten, even starting in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he was in great agony, the Bible tells us, even when they first put, you know, hands on him and arrested him, and folks, the beatings began the moment the Roman soldiers and the temple police arrested Jesus. And throughout that night, they beat him continuously and denied him the basic substance of life like food and water and rest. They tortured our Lord all night long. And not only did they torture him all night long, but they drug him through the streets from house to house, from Caiaphas to over to King Herod, back to Caiaphas to Pilate. I mean, they drug him. He had six different trials 
And at each trial, they beat him. And in between. Can you imagine that's happening to you? And as he was going through this tirade of being tortured, the scripture tells you in verse 11 of Isaiah 53 that he's going to look at the anguish of his soul and there's one word there, little brother, that tells us that to God it was all worth it. And that word is that he will be satisfied. What does that mean? That means when the cross is all done and Jesus is sitting on the throne and out in front of him are the sea of people in which he died for are now saved from the wrath of God, delivered from the bondage of sin and washed cleaner than snow by his blood. That's the latter part of chapter 25 we're going to look at in, in Matthew there. You're going to see Jesus coming back again. That's why I'm going, she must have read my sermon because the Holy Ghost is pointing out that Jesus is coming back again. And in Matthew chapter 25, it tells us that. But specifically what this brother is looking at in Isaiah 53, 11, it tells us that Jesus has seen the finished product. And he's satisfied what he had done. We don't get that too often. All we can say, oh, whoa, poor Jesus. Yes! You get the pardon the expression, crap beat out you like that. And how are you going to feel? And then, as it says in John chapter 19, how he said to his father, he, it says, it is finished. In Luke chapter uh, 22, it tells you and I that Jesus said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Now, why is that so powerful? That meant that son, the son of God, had to have a level of trust in his father that's beyond human capacity to understand. He said to God, his father, he said, Father, when he said, I commit my spirit into your hands, that means he was telling his father, it's time. It is now time for you to separate me from my body. It's time for me to now step over here into the spirit of the dead. But I'm trusting you, God, just as you had promised that you told me that I can lay my life down and I can pick my life back up again. That's in John chapter 10, when he's talking about he's the good shepherd. And when you see that, that had to be trusted. He put his spirit back into God's hand. Now, why is that so important? Here's another reason why it's important. The day that Jesus came to the earth, guess who brought him? Jesus did not come to the earth as a little bitty baby. Hello. He came here as the Spirit of God. And the Holy Ghost took him and placed him in Mary's womb, where the flesh of Mary went around the Spirit of God and grew into a human baby with the Spirit of God in it. Come on, somebody. Yeah. And when God did that, it's all because if you go way, way back to the garden, back to Adam, when Adam had sin against the Most High God, Adam carried inside of his DNA the entire 
human race. Because Adam and Eve had not consummated their marriage in the sense that we know it to bring forth children. Therefore, Adam carried the seed of the human race in him. And when Adam sinned, he tainted the seed of the human race. Because at this point, no babies had been born. And so when him and Eve joined together and they brought forth their first child, that child was born into what? Sin. And the evidence was sure because that first child name was what? Cain. And Cain, having the nature of sin, killed his next brother, his little brother named Abel. Showing forth that the nature of God was no longer in man. Wow. Now, this is the part that's going to blow your mind. This is the part that's going to really, really hit you. In Hebrews chapter 11, as we look at that down in verse 10, here, matter of fact, go back to chapter 10. In chapter 10, verse 10, it tells you and I that writer makes a very small statement there. You know what he tells you and I? He said that we were sacrificed with Christ on the cross. Well, reading that over the years, okay, Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I was crucified with Christ. He said, I am crucified with Christ. But here, this is a different understanding. This is a different view. He tells you and I that he said, that we were sacrificed with Christ. But I'm going to ask you a question. Were you on the cross with Christ? Were there billions of humans hanging off that cross? No. Here's the parallelism. Are y'all ready for it? Remember, Adam and Eve had no children at this point. Where was the human race at when Adam bit the forbidden fruit? Where was the human DNA at? What was the human seed at? I had just told y'all, come on, WOC, wake up. It was inside who? Adam. All right, here's the parallelism. The seed of God for the human race, because remember Jesus had told Nicodemus, you must be born. Uh-oh, that means new babies from heaven had to come forth in you. You had to be a new creation, but with an old body. That's right, old. We were inside Jesus. Ah, in Romans chapter 5, it says Adam came with the physical man. Jesus came with the spiritual man. So Jesus sacrificed the spiritual man with himself on the cross so that when he rose again, God rebirthed us. <laughs> Are you kidding this? This is huge. And that's what the Lord was showing me this past week. And I'm going, Woo! My big old head is busting. <laughs> I mean, when we get the understanding from the Holy Spirit, who open our mind's eye to these things. And you go, oh my Lord, 
Israel. That's why Jesus said, my soul shall be what? Satisfied. Okay? When he look and see the results, he go, oh, it was sure worth it. You was worth it. You were worth it. You was worth it. You were worth it. All of you are worth it. That's right. So the hell he went through on the cross was worth it. Because we are his children. And if you back up to Hebrews chapter 2, in that chapter, Jesus is going to appear before God as Father with the entire human race that's now his, that the ones who have followed him, the ones who have not rejected him. In that chapter, he will say to God his Father, these are the children that you have given to me. Woo, come on. God, we're going to do this. Let's give God, everybody give God some praise. Michaela, you didn't give God any. What's wrong? Come on. King David said, let everything have breath. Do what? Praise the Lord. That's not the sermon, little ones. They're, they're trying to follow along. They're good students up here. I mean, they're flipping the pages. <laughs> That's just warm up for me. <laughs> Amen. And so, I ask yourselves, bad English that just come out my mouth. I ask yourself, I said, listen. If we look at the righteous seed that came out of Adam called Seth, the third born, and we follow that pattern throughout the genealogy, especially when we get to Genesis chapter 5, and it lays it on out all the way to a man by the name of Noah. Amen? Oh, we're tracking now. And as we look at this, everybody, we see that men called upon the name of the Lord. And chapter 4 said, and men began to call upon the name of the Lord. In other words, there began to be what? Worldwide worship of God. Even though there was a bunch of king likes out there raising sand all over the world, but yet God had a remnant that loved him. And Noah was a part of that remnant seed that loved God. And God used Noah to bring what? Salvation to the world. Keep in mind the word salvation, not just refer to what Christ did on the cross. Salvation means when God steps in and rescue man. Okay? By building an ark, God used Noah to do what? Bring salvation to the to the world. Okay, now we understand it. And that's why Noah is known as a archetype of Christ. Okay? Because God used him to save the world. But yet he was not the Messiah. But he had the Messiah's seed in him. Not from the man's side because he, he didn't come from man. He came from who? From God. But the woman's side. Are we tracking now? Amen. Boy, there's some good stuff in here this morning, isn't it? And I haven't even started preaching yet. <laughs> we haven't even opened in prayer. 
Ain't God good? I'm going to tell y'all, when Shelly and them started singing that last song, I don't know if you've seen the tears begin to flow in my right eye. Do you know why that happened? As they were singing, I sensed angels all around this place. Just as King David said in Psalms 34, for the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. Amen? That's some good stuff. And so anyway, as we look on down through the corridor of time, we see Father Abraham, a Gentile, didn't even know that he was part of the seed, the righteous seed of God on earth. Okay, he didn't even know he was carrying the seed of the Messiah, the seed of the woman in his lawns. And through this old man, God will birth a nation, yes? And that nation is called what? Israel. Okay? And throughout the ages, we know what God would do. God would speak prophetically through the heart and mouths of the people of Israel to the world. And you know what God did? God did something so marvelous. This old prophet by the name of Isaiah, God showed him so much about his son, Jesus. 400, no, 300 years before that, there was a shepherd boy. Anybody know his name? David. Jesse, his father, had no idea that this boy, his baby boy, would know more about God than any other human. Are you hearing me? What God showed David about Jesus, there's no more a prophecy written than what God showed King David about Jesus. One day we'll have a study on that and I'll break out the Psalms so that you can see. All the prophecies in those Psalms by King David as he sat in pen as the Holy Ghost showed him things that would happen to Jesus. And he also showed Jesus sitting on his throne just like Isaiah did. And so now, this part of the Sermon on the Mount series, we're getting ready to see the fulfillment of all those prophecies in the Old Testament. Every last one of them about the coming Messiah. All of them are coming to fulfillment. And we're going to see that in a few minutes as we go before the Lord in prayer and then we begin to pray. You're going to see the Lord God establish his son as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords upon the earth. And we get to be a part of his kingdom, which is an everlasting kingdom. Are y'all with me? Is it too warm in here? I don't want y'all going to sleep on me. <laughs> Amen? <coughs> With every head bow. If Jesus, every head bow now, be obedient. If Jesus could allow you to look at him right now, what would you say to him at this very moment? Because I tell you, folks, he's here. 
The presence of the Lord is with us in this place. Oh, bless your name, Lord. Jesus' presence. Will you just tell him whatever's in your heart? I, I can't tell you what to tell Jesus right now. But I know this, Father, we thank you that you loved us to create us. And you loved us to send your son Jesus to redeem us. And you loved us to send your son Jesus to come and live with us forever. And Lord God, not so far in the near future, he's coming back again at your command. And he's going to set his throne here on earth. And he's going to bring the nations in front of him. And he's going to separate them as a farmer divide the sheep from the goats. And Lord, on that day, everyone that named the name of Jesus and have surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, on that day, he's going to set us on his right hand and he's going to call us his sheep. Jesus, you're so awesome. And every one of those who've been perpetrating a fraud, who are pretending to be Jesus' sheep, and those who have rejected him, and those who are saying, I'm, just, I'm a good person, I lived all my life being good, but you're not good enough because you rejected the only begotten Son of God. On that day, a lot of people are going to be surprised whose names will not be called because their names are not written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Father, today we thank you that Jesus our Lord hung on that cross and died to save us. And Lord, by your spirit, you gave every one of us a measure of faith to believe in him. And though we stumble and fall along this life journey, you did not let us go. And Jesus, you are the testimony of God to all creation that God sent you and we are the evidence of the works that you did here on earth. <coughs> and so Lord, we thank you and we praise you and we worship you. And we ask now, dear Lord, will you touch your country, your people Israel, will you watch over them? And Lord, will you bless our newly president-elect Donald Trump and his family? Will you put a hedge of protection around them? And will you, O oh God, fill him with your spirit and let him call upon the name of the Lord our God and upon Jesus Christ our Lord and help him to place his trust in you, the everlasting Father. And Lord, build men and women around him who fear God and not man and who will yield to the Spirit of God and make decisions not because of what man wants, but because of your will. And we're asking you now, Lord, this morning, send revival in our land. As we read in your word, if your people that are called by your name will humble ourselves and pray, seek your faith, turn away from our sins, then you will hear from heaven. 
Forgive us our sin and heal our land. Oh God, we're praying that that prayer, Lord, will be answered in our own country. Have your way now as the Spirit of God speak, for your children are listening. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. All right. Thank you, Miss Vicky. Wow, Miss Vicky. Well, when my lips get dry, it's hard to speak, isn't it? Just a little bit. She played marvelous for the Lord this morning, didn't she? To God be the glory. Now, I want you to know that everything that Jesus said is true. And I want you to understand as we look here in Matthew chapter 25, we're going to start in verse 31. uh, Something amazing has happened in the universe. Do, Do you understand what has taken place in the universe? Satan is in hell. Satan and every demon spirit are burning in the lake of fire. And folks, this is judgment day. Demons have already been judged and sentenced. It is now the human race term to be judged. The day of accountability is here. According to this passage of scripture, Shelley, there's no more time for your friends to be saved. There's no more time for your family members to be saved. If they're not saved at this point, in which this passage of scripture is talking about, it is too late. The next door neighbors, person on your job, the mailman, you name it. At this point in time in scripture, salvation is no longer being offered to the human race. It is finish do you hear me this is a moment of reality for every atheist who had said in their heart there is no God and the realization has now hit them there is a God And every agnostic that says, I need some more information. Well, they're going to get the biggest revelation of their lives when they see Jesus. If I get too loud, brother, just back your chair up a little bit. Because I'm a little excited. I didn't rehearse for this. (laughs) Nothing. This is all from the Holy Ghost. Okay? Folks, this is serious time in human history. God has now stopped the clock. The ages are finished. 
and death is no more. In fact, death himself has now been sentenced to the lake of fire. Come on, somebody. There will be no more dying except for the goats here. They will be eternally separated from the living God and his son, Jesus. So I pray that those who hear this this podcast that's going to go out around the world, I pray that you hear this message and hard not your heart against the living God and believe the words that are coming not out of my mouth, but from the word of God. Amen. Choose this day whom you will serve. If you think something else is God, go serve it. But if God is God, serve him. Because on the day that Jesus does this, you will be brought to the realization that God is God. Amen. And those religions that say that God doesn't have a son, you will find out on this day that you've been, le- you've been believing in a lie all these years. Because it is God's son, Jesus, who will be sitting on the throne judging the nations. And the nations are not the geographic, it's not the land, it's the people throughout all the ages, from Adam to the last baby born, is now standing before Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords. That's where we are here. And I imagine as the the disciples are listening to this, I wonder if they saw what Jesus was telling them at that moment. That meant every created being under the sun are now standing before Jesus. They're not in heaven. There are no humans in heaven. They're all now on the Earth. We're all on the earth. And the graves are now open. There are no bodies in the grave, and there are no bodies in the funeral homes or the hospitals. And the dead that were in the seas and the oceans and the lakes and the rivers are now standing before Jesus. Those that died in fire or whatever method, and people couldn't find their bodies. They are now standing before Jesus. Understand the significance of this passage, what Jesus is telling them. Watch it very, very closely. Amen? When the Son of Man comes in his glory... That's the same thing that Daniel saw in Daniel chapter 7. He saw the Son of Man coming on the clouds. For those of you that don't believe in God, on this day you will look up and you will look up. And the radiance of Jesus will get your attention. 
And in that hour, it can be 12 o'clock at night, and all of a sudden, it's bright daylight. Because his presence will dispel the darkness. Amen? Amen. Woo! And all the holy angels with him. That means the two-thirds that did not betray God, that did not commit high treason against God, are now with Jesus. And they're all now, brother deacons, all those angels, myriad upon myriads upon myriads of angels, that means countless, okay, are now on the earth. You ever wonder what Gabriel looked like or Michael? You will now see them standing in the radiance of Christ as his warriors waiting to carry out his commands. And they will not feel sorry for you when you say, but my mama never told me about Jesus. Oh, my daddy never took me to church. They're going to say, oh, but your friend did tell you about me. But you told him, get out of my way, you holy roller. You Bible thumper, I don't want to hear it. Or whatever language you use to tell my people, I do not want to hear about your Jesus. Wow. Folks, understand now, this is not a walk in the park. This is a day in which all mankind will give accountability. Either you belong to Jesus or you don't. There is no in-between. Understand the message very carefully. Matthew 25 here, starting at verse 31, is no joke. He will sit on the throne of his what? Glory. That means Jesus' throne must be high and lifted up in order for every mankind to see him sitting on the throne. That means that God has just exalted Jesus above every human being. Even Pilate will look upon him on that day. And as it says in Revelation chapter 1, even though who pierced him shall look up at him. Whether you believe this as a bunch of religious jargon or truly believe, your belief system has nothing to do with the reality of Jesus coming back. Okay? You can fool yourself if you want to. Okay? Are you understanding me? Children, this is an important message, baby. You must believe that Jesus Christ is. He is a real person. He's the real son of God. He's the real savior of the world. And he's coming back again. And man would never, ever beat Jesus again. Amen. Never would they spit in his face again. Yeah. 
As a matter of fact, I guarantee you there will be men in that crowd wishing they had never cursed him out. Are you understanding this? All the nations will be gathered before him. Did you get that? Let me break down nations for you. That means every tribe, every tongue, every language, no matter where you live at, you can be in the jungles of Ecuador, you can be in the Sahara of Africa, you can be in Europe, you can be in the snow-capped mountains of Alaska, no matter where you can be, you can be in South Beach, USA, wherever you are, you will come that day and stand before Jesus. You can be in the grave, or you can be in heaven as the saints who've already gone before us are. On that day, every created body, every created person will now be standing before Jesus. Are y'all getting this? God is not joking here. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from what? Another. Other words, you remember the parable of the tariff and the wheat? You know, tariff looks just like wheat when it's growing up, but it's really weed. Okay? And Jesus told those when they came back and said, Master, did you not plant wheat? He said, yes. He said, but there are tares in the wheat. And Jesus said, leave them alone. Let them both grow up together. Unless you pull the wheat up with the what? With the tear. And in the end times, the angels will do what? Separate them. Other words, you can live among the world and the world will think you're just like they are. Because they don't know that you belong to Jesus. But you know them from us. Amen. We know them from us. I get my verbs and all pronouns mixed up there. But that's all right. Your teacher? He looked like a professor sitting here. <laughs> anyway, but, but, but understand this. Understand this. On that day, Jesus said, I don't care where you've been living, okay, and who you've been living among, I will separate my people from those who are not my people. Uh-oh, what does that sound like from? That sounds like from the book of Hosea, don't it? When God said, I will call a people who are not my people to what? Be my people. That's you and I, Gentiles. That's non-Jewish. Amen? But he's also going to call his people too. Yes, and they will be judged. Israel will be judged also. All right? So, you see, we haven't gone very far, have we? And he will separate them one from another as a shepherd. And by the way, the Greek word for shepherd is also the Greek word for pastor. It's the identical same word. So he says as a, as a, 
as a shepherd go and separate the goats from the sheep. Okay, especially during shearing time, you don't really shear a, a, a goat, you skin him. But a sheep, you can just take some clippers and cut his wool off, right? So you can use it. Verse 33, and he will set the sheep on his what? Right hand, which stands for what? Righteousness. But the goats on the left. Then the king, notice that, then the king, not Mary had a little lamb. Hello. We'll say to those on his right, that's you and me and all the brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the ages. And then it go all the way back to righteous self and even Abel. Okay. They are here too. And he said to those on his right hand, come, you blessed of my father. That's God himself. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. King David throughout the Psalms kept saying over and over and over again that the meek shall inherit the earth. That, that word means the righteous one, the ones who have humbled themselves before God by accepting Jesus. And so, if you're so prideful to think that, oh, God don't have a son. I had one Muslim guy tell me when I was a prison chaplain, man, you got to be stupid, chaplain, think God need a man. God don't have a man as a son. What's wrong with you? I said, no, what's wrong with you? Because you're about to find out. Wait till you die. Mm -hmm. Then you will know. So here we have it, and, and, and I'm not picking on Muslims, just like I'm not picking on Buddhists or any other person that don't believe. I'm, I'm telling the truth to all unbelievers, that they need to know that God has a son, and his name is Jesus, and he went to the cross for their salvation. Amen. Okay? And it goes on to tell you and I that you... That, that God prepared this kingdom for you from the foundation of the world. There's another theme that keep running through the New Testament. That's before the foundation of the world. We keep seeing that pop up in Paul letters and all over and over and over again. That means God did this work long before he did what? Created us. God said that these things were going to be possible and he brought them into reality. Okay, that's why you are now here today, because God is not a man in which he could what lie or the son of man in which he should repent. If you don't believe me, go ask Balaam in, in Numbers chapter 19. Okay, go and read that. That's where Moses recorded that. So as we're looking on at this great wall, this great sea of people standing before Christ the King, Jesus had just said to you and I, Emma, and all those are like us who are washed in the blood of the Lamb, okay, and your garments are made white, he's just said to us, there's the kingdom, step over into it. You're now blessed of my Father forever. Amen? Amen. So that means now there's still a portion that's left out there that's still standing before him. Am I right? And don't feel bad for him. 
Don't dare look over there and go, oh, that's my mama. No, your mama had the same opportunity as you. Amen. Oh, that's my child over there. No, your child had the same opportunity as you. But oh, that's my husband or my wife. Oh, that's my neighbor. Guess what? They had the same opportunity as you. Okay? You remember Jesus' brothers? They ripped him all the time. Remember reading in John chapter 7, it said that they didn't believe him. And they often ridiculed him. But then we see over in Acts chapter 1, they're numbered in 120 that get saved. Their names are listed there in the upper room when the Holy Ghost came to town. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because somewhere along the, lay, along the way, God had answered Jesus' prayers and saved them. So his brothers and sisters are also saved. Yes? Isn't that awesome? And so... They get the same opportunity to be saved. They had to go through the same Jesus as we had to. And they grew up with him. All right. Let's look on. Verse 35. So he's going to now tell the world, the rest of the world, Jesus has a message. Folks, the kingdom of God has just now shut its doors. Not another soul will enter it. Do you see this? At the end of verse 34, the kingdom of God is now closed. It will take no more souls. Do you see this? Oh, Y'all didn't know this was in this chapter, did you? Now, in verse 35, here's the sad, sad indictment for the ungodly, for those who are not saved. For I was hungry and you gave me no, gave me what? For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Now he's actually, I got that back. He's actually not talking to the church. That means you and I, that means we were doing what he told us to do. Are you getting this? You're going to say, well, Jesus, I, I don't remember giving you a cup of water or a piece of bread or putting a, 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 a gown on you when you were naked or put a, a, a cool cloth across your head when you were sick, uh, when you was in prison or came and visited you. Jesus, I don't remember doing that. But watch what he says, though. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and fed you, or thirst and give you drink? When did we see you, a stranger, and take you in? Are naked and clothe you. Or when did we... Oh, let me back up that part. Let, let me back up just a little bit here. When did we see you a stranger and take you in? I want to share something with WC on that. That has been my greatest downfall before the Lord. We are not taking in strangers. You know why? Because we're saying we don't know what kind of person we're bringing into our homes. 
Do you not think God knows that? Why do you think he put this here? He knows the kind of person he's going to have you bring into your house. And it's okay if you take the person and, and put them in a hotel too, because you're providing. But if you walk by and do nothing, and I think I understand now why God sent me to Winn-Dixie this morning, even though it was my error. You know what happened? There was a homeless man sitting out there, and I asked him, I said, sir, did anybody give you anything to eat today? He said, no. I said, wait right there. I will bring you something. And after I had gathered up what I needed to for the ministry, I walked over to the deli, and they were just putting out the lunch meal. And I talked to the lady. She said, oh, yeah, we know who he is. We try to feed him at night. So I have something to last him. And she fixed the plate. I said, can you do this for me? And she did. And she hadn't even put out the food yet, but she fixed him a plate. And I took that man some food. I said, here. And Jesus now said, be blessed of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, I don't know if that man is actually an angel sitting there. Okay. Because the Apostle Paul said, many have entertained angels unaware. Huh? I tried to feed him the other day, but he was gone before I got out with food. So you don't know it could have been a test. Could be a test. But so Jesus is saying to you and I here is that when we do this to other people, we are doing it unto him. You know how many sinks I see drive by those people on the exit ramps? And getting my money. Ain't nothing but a thief using people. Uh-huh. And how many people you've used in your lifetime? It doesn't matter if the person used someone. It what matters is that you obey Jesus. Okay? You don't have to give them money if you got a bag of food. Because most of us don't need two sandwiches from Hardee's or McDonald's. We can really afford to give one away. Huh? And so he wants the church out here being visible, taking care of people. How many church people you know need things and that churches, I just will get me, got million dollars facilities. Million dollars in the bank accounts. I know one and work for them. And yet a person come in and go, oh, you got something in the last 90 days. Oh, it hasn't been 90 days, so you can't give them. How are you going to tell that person's stomach, you got to wait six to nine more days before you get a piece of bread from us? You'll be bearing them, won't you? Then what would you say to the Lord? Hmm? Winter money is coming. You really think that person you're going to say, as James would say over in the book of James, be filled and be warmed and you give him nothing to help him out? He said, what good is your faith if you're not going to do anything? Your words means nothing to a person that's freezing to death if you don't pull off your jacket and give it to him. Amen. A person that's starving if you don't give him something to eat. Or if he's sick, you don't go and get him some medicine like the good Samaritan did. It's useless. 
So Jesus went on and told him, Surely I say to you, and as much as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren. And folks, that means Jesus saying that they're akin to me. And that angers God when his own people don't take care of their own. I'm talking about church folks now. And you drive right on by, oh, not getting my money, shoot, don't pay me back. It's not your money in the, in the start well, because if you don't believe me, read First Chronicles chapter 29 and see what David said about all the wealth on earth, who it really belongs to. Okay? David said it belongs to God. And God lend it to us. Okay? We're finishing this up because we got communion. Verse 41, then he will also say to those on the left hand, depart from what? From me. Hold up, Jesus. I just fed 100,000 people. Mm -hmm. Depart from me. Watch what he says. You cursed into the everlasting fire Prepare for the devil and his angels. Other words, demons. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not take me in. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they, will, they also will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hunger or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into everlasting life. Amen. Folks, is more there than just material things Jesus is talking about. Drink also symbolizes the Holy Spirit. If you're not spending time with God in prayer, bread also symbolizes the Word of God. It also symbolizes Jesus. Because Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Okay? And folks, if you are not clothing yourselves in the righteousness of God... All right. And if you're not visiting the family of God, if you're not fellowshipping with the family of God, how can you call yourself a child of God? You have got to get up off your duffel bag and put on your blue jeans and go at your door and find a place of worship and fellowship with God's children. God did not call Long Rangers. I hear it all the time. I don't have to go to church to worship God. I don't know what Bible you're reading, but my Bible says you do. Okay? My Bible said, as a matter of fact, if you go and read in the same context that I was telling you about in Hebrews chapter 10, it says, do not do like some are who are forsaken to assemble themselves together. God said, don't you dare do that. He said, you better come together in an assembly. We call that the church. Amen. Come together to do what? To fellowship. 
Kananiah, that means community also. Get to know each other, love each other, and grow together in Christ Jesus. Paul said that it is the pastors and evangelists and the teachers and the pastors and the prophets and the apostles job to train you for ministry. How can we train you if you're staying home? And how can you do the work of Christ if you stay at home? I'm not going back down there with them people. They done made me mad. <laughs> Last time I checked the Bible in certain areas, God will also make you mad, but it doesn't mean he stopped loving you. Amen? And Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace on earth, but what? An offense. That means he's going to get in your face and he's going to make you what? Mad. You're going to get angry because you're not going to want to stop living the way you are. And God said, in order to enter these gates, you're going to have to change. Amen. Okay. What do you think the word repentance is? Repentance means change the way you're living before God and turn to the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, God's Son, and live according to His way and not what? Your way. Amen. Even Jesus, the Son of God, said, God, not my will, but what? Your will be done. Now, if it's good enough for God's Son, it must be what? Good enough for us. Amen? Amen. And this old country boy preacher crazy. <laughs> I love this young couple up here. <laughs> They're so wonderful. But really, this is the conclusion of the Olive Discourse of Lord Jesus sitting there with 12 men who came out of the temple complex bragging about the grandeur of the temple, how nice it looked. And Jesus said, I say to you, one stone shall be not what? Left one upon another. And AD 70 on a Nero, the temple came down. Okay? And the, and, the, and the disciples was eventually scattered. Okay, pushed out of Jerusalem. And the gospel began to what? Spread. The same roads that the Romans used to oppress people, God used them to set people what? Free. By using those roads to carry the gospel from nation to nation. Amen? So God is so good in what he does. And as we fix our minds now, we're going to shift a little bit over to communion. Jesus Christ, the stripes that he took on his back was done so that you and I can have everlasting life. That day up in Capernaum, it was the day out in which Jesus had fed the 5,000. And the people um, hunted him down. They searched him out and found him. And as Jesus said, you didn't come just to see the miracles, okay? You came because you was filled. Otherwise, you got your belly full. And, and, and that is reminiscent of the United States. You remember 9-11 in 2001? What happened that day? People were trying to find churches, were they not? Oh, God, help us. Help us, help us. Why? Because they wanted their fear to be taken away by God. They wanted that, that, that absolute surety that everything was going to be all right. <coughs> they found God, didn't they? 
But once they got back into their comfort zone, when the planes were no longer coming, when they were sure that our borders were secure, they stopped coming to what? Church. They stopped seeking God because their bellies were now filled. Okay? And Jesus told those people up in Capernaum, he said, do not come, do not labor for the food, okay? And then he began to break it down into a method in which they would understand. He said, I am the bread of life that came down from heaven, okay? He said, it was not Moses who gave your fathers the manna in the wilderness. He said, it was my father that gave it to them. Okay, and now I am the bread of life. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part of me. Then they go, he done lost his mind. This man telling us to eat his flesh and to drink his blood. Who do you think he is? <laughs> He's committing cannibalism. But that's not what he was saying. It went right over their heads. He was telling them, you got to place your trust in me. Just as your fathers placed their trust in God to give them bread from heaven. Because had he not, had God not gave them bread from heaven, they would have starved to death. Because they were not back in Egypt. They were in a desert where nothing was growing. Had God not given them something to drink, they would have died of what? Of thirst in the desert. So Jesus is saying, unless you eat from him, you will die from spiritual hunger. Unless you drink from him, you will die from spiritual what? Thirst. And everybody that died these type of death are eternally separated from God. And Jesus is the bread of life that came down from heaven. And he has offered up his body, his body and his blood for us to partake of. And the night in which he was betrayed and he got these 12 men sitting at this table and, and you know what was really sad, the one who betrayed him was partaking in the same table. Okay? At the same table. If you switch with me in this direction, kind of turn yourselves a little bit in this direction. The deacons will come up and they'll stand on this side of me. And so, can you get the word of God from over there, please? It's, it, it's something else. That that night in Jerusalem, Jerusalem is properly translated as the city of peace. That night, everybody, with God's holy angels looking on, Jesus was taking these 12 men and even the rest of them that was in that room. He was doing something that was so wonderful. And Moses had did it about 1,500 years earlier in the desert. Y'all didn't know that, did you? Let, let, let me help you out a little bit. In Exodus chapter 24, we see Moses and the children of Israel standing before God. And it was just a shadow or symbol of what Jesus was going to do that night in Jerusalem. And that night, or that day when Moses stood between, you know, before all those people, he took the blood and he sprinkled it on the people. Okay? After he had sprinkled the holy things that was 
going into the tabernacle. That day, God told Moses to get Aaron and his two sons and to get the 70 elders of Israel and come on up on the mountain. Oh, it is glorious. Oh, I... <sighs> that day, those men, 74 men, sat at a long table. And the Bible tells you and I that those men sat with God. <laughs> and they said under their feet was like blue sapphire. Can you imagine that? That's in the Old Testament. And that night in Jerusalem, we see Jesus, who also sat at that table with those 74 men 1,500 years earlier. Is now sitting at a table with 12. And he's preparing them for a table that's larger than that. Amen. The largest table that humans will ever see. Jesus, he, he, he's, he's prepared it. And we see it in Revelation chapter 19, which says, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Man, that got to be something. We get to see everybody. And if you don't like white people, guess what? You won't be at that table. And if you don't like black people, you won't be at that table, or red or yellow. Okay? You will not be at that table because all lives matter. Oops, I ain't supposed to say that. Glory to God. All lives matter to Jesus. Amen. That's why he went to the cross. Amen. And so that night, those 12 men supposed to represent the nations. They're supposed to represent mankind because it was their job to go and take the gospel to the world. So what Jesus was doing with them, he was preparing them to do a work that he himself had already finished. He wouldn't do any more teaching after this night. It's done. That night, his works we're finished. And so he took in a Jewish traditional fashion. We have in the 21st century the bread and wine together. Okay? For convenience. But that night he had a loaf of unleavened bread. Unleavened means no yeast. So it didn't rise. So yeast represented what? Sin. Go to show you that his body, which had no sin, was what? Broken for us. Just like Isaiah 53 said. And then the wine, we represented his what? His blood. That was shed for the remission or the forgiveness of sin. Remember Moses? How he sprinkled the people with the blood? Well, Moses had to use a lamb's blood. He didn't cut himself open and use his own blood. On the cross, Jesus would use his own blood. So that night, those 12 men 
got a huge lesson. And they would understand what that means, except one, one had betrayed him. As we get ready to prepare for communion, let me ask you now, don't be like Judas. Don't be a Judas. Because that night, Satan walked in that room and he entered Judas. Judas had every opportunity, as the other eleven did, to make sure they was in fellowship with God, to make sure everything was okay with them and God by accepting Jesus. And that's what we're asking you to do today. <coughs> make sure every one of you here are okay with God. Everything is all right with you and God. And so, every head bow, I want to ask you something. Now, Every head bow, I want you to ask yourself, Dear Lord Jesus, is everything okay with us? Lord, I'm searching my heart now. Lord, is there anything wrong in me that I haven't told you about? That the Bible calls sin? Have I done some things that I haven't talked to you about? Have I said some words that I shouldn't have said that I haven't talked to you about and that means when you talk to him it's called confession he said if we will confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness kids they're talking and looking around this is a crucial moment before God every head bow now this is your moment to tell Jesus I belong to you and I want to make sure everything is okay with us. And so, dear Lord, have your way. As you search me out, Lord Jesus, you're searching my heart right now. <coughs> Forgive me for my sins. Forgive me, dear Lord. And now, Lord, that you've forgiven me, I can now take communion. Because your word says that anyone that eats and partake of the Lord's body in an unworthy manner, that means having unconfessed sins, we eat and drink condemnation to ourselves. So Lord, I thank you that I am now by Jesus able to take communion. Every head, now every eye looking at me. The Lord Jesus Christ loves you. Here the Apostle Paul is telling you and I 
as you give the ordinance of communion to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting at verse 23, this is what the Lord is saying. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he come. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drink this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let every man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. So everybody looking at me, deacons, prepare the communion table. De give me one of the cups. No, no, one of those, so I can demonstrate it. All right. As the deacons give you communion, I walk you through the steps. get through it. Okay. For those of you that have the cup like this, remember you got to remove the cellophane wrapping at the top first. Just peel the little plastic back. And, and expose the little wafer that's there. 
and, re and remove the wafer. And then pull back the aluminum to expose the wine. Now it's not real wine, mom and dad. Go ahead and serve each other. Miss Vicky have verse. So on the night that the Lord Jesus Christ was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And we give thanks to Father, I thank you for this bread. And we thank you, Father, for the bite of our Lord Jesus Christ that was broken for us. Take and eat. So do this as often as you remember me. And likewise, he took the cup, which would have been the third cup on the, on the table. And it said, this is the... The what? The new covenant. The blood of the new covenant. Which is his blood that was shed for the forgiveness of sin. But he told his disciples he wouldn't drink it with them that night until he do what? See them together in his father's kingdom. But for them, they were to take the cup and drink of him. Hold it, hold it. But he gave thanks. Father, thank you for the blood of your son Jesus. Now take and drink all of it. And what followed next is that they went out to the Mount of Olives and they were singing songs. And of course, we know from there, the Lord was betrayed into the hands of sinners. He was arrested in the garden. I'll close it out, deacons. Give me your names again. Chris. Sina. 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 Okay. Well, we thank God for Chris and Sina. They come and visit us. And uh, we encourage them to come back again. We do church just a little bit different. But we love the Lord Jesus Christ and we preach from the scriptures and the scriptures only. Okay? Because that's what the apostles did. And we encourage you to just continue to lift your life before the Lord Jesus Christ and live for him. All hearts and mind clear? Well, God bless you. We had a good time Friday night. In here we had walls and walls of people. Um, the kids did tremendous for the ministry, selling those little glow foam sticks at the Christmas tree lighting. And uh, Miss Nelson, them sold uh, nachos and stuff. They was they were a little slow on their job. <laughs> but, but it picked up in the end. Somebody felt sorry for them and gave them a donation. <laughs> and that, that's when God opened the windows of heaven and, and helped them out. <laughs> but my boys were running circles around them. Uh, anyway. Uh, this coming Thursday, don't forget to tell somebody about the annual Thanksgiving meal that we're going to be having here. I think everybody, we're overwhelmed in turkeys. We got turkeys flowing out our ears coming in and hams. 
And uh, we just have to prepare the side dish. I, I have to, I believe, take the turkeys and ham to uh, our good friends um, who are going to be smoking them. And uh, guys, uh, uh, this doesn't have anything to do with church. I'm going to dismiss you in a moment. But uh, do respect your wives who prepare the meals. Because I spent hours yesterday cropping greens and washing them and cutting them up. Getting them ready for Thursday. So these dishpan hands. Uh, <laughs> I got soft hands, D. Anyway. I, hey, look. I'm proud of what I did. I bagged eight two-gallon bags full of cut-up collard greens. Eight, eight and a half. I mean, the big ones. So, and, and, and put them in the freezer. Well, Vernon put them in there for me. Because my hands, by that time, was tired. <laughs> anyway, um, please get the word out. Christmas is going to be on a Sunday. Sunday. Don't miss church because you want to stay home and open a present. Okay? Jesus is Christmas. Remember it says Christmas is a compound word that means Christ Mass. Okay? It's a day in which the Catholics came together to recognize the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we want to do the same on that day. All right? Bring one or two gifts for the preacher. Now I'm messing with you. <laughs> I'm just joking. All hearts and mind clear. Let's close in prayer. And then you can go home. <laughs> Miss Vicki, you don't want to hear the comments that's coming out of the congregation right now. <laughs> let's just bow and pray. Father, we thank you so much for what you have done here today, for your presence most of all. We love you, Lord Jesus. And it breaks our heart how, uh, even though it wasn't a day in which you established called Christmas, it breaks our heart to see how commercialism has taken over it. And it's all about money. It's not about you anymore. Lord, we put you, Jesus, back in Christmas. We put Christ back in Christmas. Because we're here to honor you and not ourselves. Help us to do this and help us to love someone else with the love that you have loved us with. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen and amen. <laughs>